Good morning everyone, welcome again and thank you for your kind invitation. Emmanuel, God is with us. Isn't that awesome? God is with us here today in Moody'sburn. Let me start by asking a question, are you ready? Are you organised, are you prepared for Christmas? When you ask people that at this time of year, you get many responses. Some will say, not really, not quite. It will happen on the day. Others will say, bah humbug, can't wait till it's over. Can't wait till it's finished. These are the mixtures of responses we hear today. But did you know that God was ready for Christmas? God was prepared and organised for Christmas, for the birth of Jesus. And we know that because for this monumentous event when Jesus was born, he proclaimed that to the world hundreds of years in advance through one of his prophecies. Did you know that the best-selling book printed, issued today in the world is the Bible? According to the Bible Society, five billion Bibles are in circulation today. Why is that? Why is that? Because God's word is unique, holy, righteous, and because of thousands of prophecies in the Bible. We hear a lot today about predictions. Your lady mentioned earlier about a vote on Tuesday. Predictions. What will happen? The Brexit vote, inflation, jobs, trade. Nobody knows. But when God prophesies, when he makes a promise, it's 100% accurate. And what I'm going to do today is share with you a prelude to the Christmas story regarding three peoples. One is one of the prophets, Isaiah. He was a very well-to-do man. He worked as a royal scribe in the king's court in Judah. He wrote letters and documents for the kings. Came from a noble family. The second person we'll look at is Mary, a total different extreme of society. A young lady from a poor family, barely educated. And the final group was a group of workers, farm workers, what are called shepherds. And I want you to bear three things, and we'll pick these three points up as we get through this this morning. They experienced troubles in life, but they had to make decisions in life, but they received blessings in life. I want us to bear these in mind as we get through these. Let's just read the first three portions of Scripture. This is in 740 BC. Isaiah writes these words in chapter 9. I'm reading from the NIV, but if you don't have a Bible or your own version, please just feel free to enjoy these readings. Well-known verses, only two from 700 years before, sorry, 300 would be before the birth of Christ. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us, you, me, to us a son is given. And the government will be in his shoulders. He will be called a wonderful counsellor. He will be called mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. 
And then just moving over to Luke chapter 1, you'll know these verses well. Just 12 verses, Luke 1, just uh, parachuting into verse 26. The heading is, the birth of Jesus is foretold. Here it is. Word of God, 100% accurate. Luke one twenty-six. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went and said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this words and wondered what kind of greetings this may be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with the Lord, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over his house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, who is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. To get what Isaiah is saying here, we need to just go to a previous incident in his life. In Isaiah chapter 6, when something happened to Isaiah, to allow him to write these words of God's authority, because one day he saw something. He saw the Lord highly exalted and seated on a throne. Isaiah 6 verse 3, he saw something. He saw God on the throne. But he heard something. He heard seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he saw, he heard angels worshipping God. But that was a trouble to Isaiah. It caused a problem for him. Because what he did, he compared himself with God and he said, Woe unto me, who am I? I'm finished, I'm ruined. There's no hope for me. I'll try my best, do my best, but it's not going to work. That was his trouble, that was his problem. But then remember, the angel took the coat, put it on his lips, and said, Isaiah, your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. That was the answer to his trouble. Look to me, Isaiah. That was his trouble. But Isaiah therefore had a decision to make. Good job, good career, working the king's court. Is he going to give that up for God? This is a life changer, Isaiah. But Isaiah says, yes, I'm going to do it. Because of what he saw, what he heard, changed his life. But God said to him, who will go? Isaiah answers, I will go. Go to do what, Isaiah? What are you going to do? He's going to tell the nation about God. He's going to tell the nation about Isaiah 9 and 2. And as a child is born. He writes songs of love, of hope, of comfort, of mercy. 
And that's a blessing in his life. He troubled, he had a decision. And for the next 40 years, 40, 60 years, Isaiah prophesies to the nation. He tells the people about the prophecies of God. What an awesome blessing that was to him. And what he says was, unto us a child is born. It's not an angel. It's not an adult. Like when God made Adam. The government will be upon his shoulders. Today, if you're a believer, God is governing your life. You're under the governments of God. You're under a new control. And for Isaiah, it was God. All the works done in this place, all the works done in the world today, are under the governance of God. He gave the names there. They're not literal names. They're reflecting his character. Wonderful counsellor. I read yesterday that apparently many people want to get counselling services from psychological support. Can't get them. The money's not there. The funding's not there. You can get access to God anytime. 24-7. Because he's a wonderful counsellor. But he's a divine counsellor. Counselors always ask you, tell me all about yourself. Tell me about your problems. God doesn't do that with you. Because God knows you. He knows your problems. He knows your troubles. He doesn't need to ask you. Therefore he's wonderful. He's divine. He knows everything about us. And he also calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. We need that in our world today. Let's move on to Mary. She had her troubles too. Luke one twenty nine. we read it. Mary was greatly troubled when Gabriel brought her the news. Why is she troubled? She's poor, from no esteemed family. She's a young teenager. She's from a town called Nazareth, a backward Galilean town. In fact, Philip said, Nathaniel said to Philip, and Philip was bringing Nathaniel to Jesus one day, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? There's a Roman colony next door to it as well, a garrison. She's unmarried. She's engaged. It's a teenage pregnancy. Joseph could have rejected her. Indeed, if she'd been put under the Jewish law at the time, she would have been stoned. There's a social stigma that Mary has. And she feels she's not good enough. You know, Satan uses social stigmas today. He puts a big black mark over as many people as he can to stigmatise you. To make you think you are not good enough. For whatever reason, you are not good enough. A stigma. Where you come from, your job, your education, your family. That's where Mary was coming from. In Matthew 1 and 20, the angel came to Joseph. Again, he was told, do not be afraid. Your Mary is at home. Go home and make her your wife. He was afraid as well. After the birth, of course, he even had to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. The troubles were full on for this young couple. Mary had her troubles. But who's in control here? Mary had to think about that. Mary had a decision to make. But before we look at that, let's look at her blessings. She felt unworthy. But that wasn't God's view. Because in Luke 28, if you keep going, Gabriel said to Mary, I believe I read it, Greetings to you, Mary, who are highly favoured. 
Don't you remember that? Mary, you're highly favoured. God is with you. And if it read, going to verse 42, Elizabeth tells Mary, you're blessed than a young woman. Reading on to verse 43, Mary asks, but why am I favoured? Why is God favouring me? I don't deserve it. The reply came in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. The stigma doesn't matter, Mary. You are highly favoured to God before God today. I am highly favoured before God today. Why? Because God wants to pour his love, his grace and his mercy on you and on me in exactly the same way he did with Mary. Not any more, not any less. He loves us in exactly the same way as he loved Mary. We are greatly favoured. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 3, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. We can't count them. We don't know the blessings that God has given us in eternity. They're eternal. It's only a tip of the iceberg, the blessings we have at the moment. There is an old chorus, count your blessings, name them one by one. You cannot count your blessings that God has given you. You cannot name them. You can't do it. That was Mary's blessing because she was favoured and she responded. What a blessing. But she had a decision to make. Was she going to follow God in this tough ask? Or was she going to do her own thing? And verse 38 she said, I am the Lord's servant. You know, are you the Lord's servant today? That's a great honour for you. You're highly favoured if you are. May your words be fulfilled. May it be as you have said. That's a great thing to say. If you can say today, I am the Lord's servant, and may it be as you have said, Lord. And whatever God wants you to do today, that's what Mary was saying. But in verse 34, she does ask the question, how can this be? She is perplexed by it. It defies medical logic, understanding. It's a supernatural event. She's going to conceive Jesus born of the Holy Spirit. She knows it will happen. She believes that, but how is it going to happen? And that's a good question. None of it is a mystery. It's a supernatural event that took place. If we don't understand it, and all the ins and outs of it, it doesn't stop us from believing. Mary's life was not easy. In spite of the blessing, she had a difficult life at times. But she was blessed in many ways, the way that Jesus healed many, the way he fed many, she was blessed to see her, her son do that. But difficulties too, the way she knew he would be crucified, the way he was treated. But what a blessing she was. Let's move on to the last category, the shepherds. They were the same, the first witnesses to see Jesus had their trouble. If we move into Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, here is what it says. As the shepherds were tending their sheep, an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is the shepherd's trouble now. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
For in the town of David a Saviour will be born today. He is a Messiah, Christ the Lord. Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will wrap the baby in cloths and you will see him lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God. Verse 14 saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. They've got it. The angels are confirming this. God wants his favour to rest upon this world. He wants his favour to rest in you. Like the shepherds, like Mary, like Joseph. But a point just to watch here is who is it we're worshipping today? Who is it we are praising? Is it Mary? Is it the angels? Is it men? Well, no way. We see a lot of idol worship today. And this world of sports, celebrities, music. Who do we worship today? Sometimes at this time of year, I wonder, when I look around the world, look what Matthew says in chapter 2, verse 11. When the Magi came and saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and they worshipped him. The Magi worshipped Jesus. Look at 1 verse 47. Mary says, My soul glorifies in the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. My Saviour. Mary is worshipping God and her son Jesus. Is it man we worship? In Acts 10 24, when a man called Cornelius, a Roman centurion, came to a house in Joppa where Peter was, Cornelius fell at the feet of Peter in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, I am only a man. Myself, We don't worship man. Peter had to tell Cornelius, you recruit, don't worship me. In some churches in the world today, there are statues of Peter. And people are worshipping a symbol of Peter. Peter saying, don't do this Cornelius. I'm only a man. As the angels were worshipped, they're playing a key role here as God's messengers. In Revelation 19 and 10, when John gets that great vision of heaven, it says, John fell at the feet of an angel to worship. But the angel said, don't do this. I am only a fellow servant who holds to the testimony of who? Of Jesus. John, don't worship angels. The one we are worshipping and celebrating in a week and a half's time. According to Isaiah, the Bible, the angels, Mary, Joseph, is Jesus. Emmanuel, he is with us. He's the one we should be worshipping. In spite of our troubles, as we go through life. So that was his shepherd's trouble. They were fearful. But they had a decision as well to make. This is awesome. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Let's go. This is a shepherd saying this. Let's go where? To Bethlehem to see this great thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go. I would love to hear people say that today. I'm sure in this place too. For people to say, let's go and see Jesus. What a statement that is. For me as farmers, 
these the shepherds they went to find Jesus. I trust today at this time of year, people go and see Jesus. Seek the Lord. Another Isaiah uh, prophecy here, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he still may be heard. You know, the day may come when people may not see Jesus. It may be too late. You would hear about the news of the young student found in New Zealand. Not found yet, but assumed dead. Too late. People go to work, have illnesses, not calling on Jesus, not hearing for him. It's going to be too late. Today is the day to do it. Seek him now. This is what Isaiah is saying. This great prophet that God changed his life. Seek him now. But the shepherds were blessed as well. Verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word. When they saw Jesus at Bethlehem, they went in verse 17, I've looked to, and they spread the word concerning what they had seen. That's awesome. These men knew very, very little, maybe a bit about the Old Testament. They went to see Jesus They go. They're now telling others. You know, the power of the word is amazing. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. These shepherds weren't preachers. They weren't evangelists. They weren't prophets. They were shepherds. But people were amazed. Don't worry about who you are or who you think you're not. People will be amazed if you tell them about Jesus. Verse 20, the shepherds returned praising God. Right, praising God for all the things that they'd seen and heard which had just been told to them. Here's an interesting comment about Luke. Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples. He wasn't there then. But God used him as a very powerful and brilliant investigative researcher. Because when Luke writes his gospel 60 years later, circa 60 years AD, he speaks to the witnesses. He seeks them out. In fact, he tells us that in Luke 1, chapter 1. He says, I have drawn up an account of these things handed down by first eyewitnesses. Luke's gospel is based on people he's gone and spoke to. Who would he speak to? Let's try and be creative at this time here. I am sure that if Mary was still alive then, which I imagine she would be, 60 AD, Mary would be early 70s, late 70s at the, at the latest. Joseph would be dead by then. The shepherds, some of them would be around. Their families. What about the innkeeper? The stories he would have heard. Luke speaks to these people. And he writes down first eyewitnesses account of what they saw. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better. And that's what Luke does. At this time of year, do you ever wonder what Christmas is all about? Even if Jesus did come and he was born, and we believe that, why did he come? You know, we're back to Isaiah again, because the first occasion when Jesus goes out into his public ministry, he goes to where? Nazareth. Back to this place when Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of it? He goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And what does he do? He quotes Isaiah. It's unbelievable. It's brilliant. He quotes Isaiah 61, verses um, 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and bring recovery of sight for the blind and to set free the oppressed. That's his opening statement 30 years later when he goes out to preach the gospel. He quotes Isaiah. He's talking about people who are spiritually poor. They owe a huge debt of sin to God as is the case with the world today. He's speaking to proclaiming people who are like prisoners. You know what it's like to be a prisoner to sin. You're held in and you're kept in on all sides, above, below, beneath. Sin's like, like, it's like shackles on you. And Jesus is wanting to free the world today and free people as if they were prisoner, prisoners to sin. Because sin oppresses people. And the Christmas story is all about freeing people and liberating them. What an awesome theme Jesus selects, his very first sermon. Do you know, the time didn't accept Jesus after he completed his sermon in the synagogue. They did not like what he was saying. Don't be surprised this time of year. If you try and just shed and sow the seed about Jesus this time of year to someone in your family, a neighbour, don't be surprised if they reject what you say. Because when Jesus left the synagogue that day, they were going to throw him off the top of a hillside in Galilee. That's how seriously they were against what he was saying. Don't be surprised if they reject what you're saying to them. So as we celebrate Christmas this time of year, we celebrate Jesus, our Saviour. Come a few weeks' time when the lights are switched off in January, the place looks a bit bleak and dull and the buzz is gone, the lights are switched off. Who do we look to in January? You know, Jesus is just not always about Christmas. He's just not about this time of year. Jesus will be there for you in the darkest day in January. The darkest day of any time in your life on earth, Jesus is still here. Two little stories to tell you about true stories. I think they're brilliant. This was a story at the end of a nativity play, back of a church hall a few years ago. People were putting their jackets on, ready to go home. This little girl, the minister sees this little young girl, quite upset, quite tearful. Over on the side, are you okay? Is everything alright? And she points to the stage. She says, no, they've forgotten Jesus. They've left Jesus. And the minister looks at what is she talking about? The little baby doll they've been using, the prop, was put in the corner among the other props. And the minister thought to himself, you know, she's right. Let's not leave this place forgetting Jesus and leaving Jesus in the corner of a stage somewhere like a prop. What a thought that we could have had. When the innkeeper was asked the question, have you any room in the inn for Jesus and this birth in this little family? You know the answer. The innkeeper said, no, there is no room. The inner symbolic of our heart. Do we have room in our heart for Jesus? The innkeeper didn't. It was full, no room, no space, no place for Jesus. Do you and I have room for Jesus? I'm sure we do. Do we have a place for Jesus in our heart today? I'm sure we do.
So no matter what you go through in life, troubles in life, I'm sure you've all got them, I've got them, if I've got them, you'll have them. Decisions to make, make sure you take Jesus into your life at this time of year. But the blessings you will get, you'll be most highly favoured in a way that no one else can do, or in no other way you can be. Thank you, I trust that that word will encourage us over these next few days as we celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Let's just pray before we conclude. Dear Lord, we just we thank you for this word, we thank you for Jesus. We just pray, Lord, for each one here today. Just help us, Lord, if we would love to just share with someone about Jesus. Family and family member, maybe we know of a neighbour, someone we're worried about who's grown cold, someone we've been reaching out to, maybe this would be their day. This is a year of favour, said the Lord. They would accept Jesus' favour into their life and they would be blessed hugely, which would overshadow all their troubles in life. Or maybe there's someone here, Lord, and we've not really asked Jesus into our life. We've not really done that yet. Maybe it would be this Christmas, Lord, it would be this year before us that I would accept Jesus into our life and accept him as our Lord and Saviour. We will be eternally thankful for who you are, Lord. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you died. And you rose again and are now glorious at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. Thank you for this time, Lord. We do ask and pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.